Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello everybody, welcome back to the Two Nowadays podcast. This week we are joined by a Cork legend, <laughs> Mr. Tyg Hickey. From uh, he's, you're a comedian and a performer and an all-round entertainer and good guy. That's so right. how's the farm, Tyg? Very good. Yeah, thanks <laughs> for having me, lads. You're more than welcome. You're more than welcome up to Churchfield, all yeah. the way from your south side of Turner's Cross, um, is it? Yeah, I've, I've been beyond talker before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome on your holidays and a miserable, a miserable evening. Three Never days, again. three days before Christmas. <laughs> So what else would you be doing? Running True. the door from work ourselves, and uh, it's a busy time of the year, isn't it? Mm. Um, how's things with you? Good man, good. Yeah, I have a lot of gratitude actually at the moment. Yeah, I have a lot of gratitude. Mark to finding a new little place there in Wilton. I live with Dominic McHale. He's in cahoots as well. He was in the Young Offenders, and we kind of we go we've gone from gaff to gaff in the last while. We're living in a nice little place in Wilton. We're living with a male nurse. He lives over, or he works over in the CUH. Handy for emergencies. Isn't Very that, right? handy if any of us fall, and we <laughs> yeah. are fallers. We're clumsy, like. But it would, um, it would have been more handy if he was still drinking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd be in and out of his fucking room then. Yeah. yeah. But uh, no, I've a lot of gratitude at the moment. Yeah. Without but, without getting into the you know full on to the spiritual stuff straight away, like. But, yeah, yeah, but gratitude is good, and Wilton yeah. is not a bad spot. When I was early Grand. early recovery, I was um, for my first year. I was living out in Wilton in Eagle Valley. Anonymous out there, big huge housing estate. Nobody talks to anybody out there, mm. and I just kept my head down. Whereas in the north side, everybody talks to everybody. You see somebody out walking a dog, going to the shops to chit chat. But over in the south side, not that part of the south side anyway, there wasn't that kind of community spirit. I'd say no. Um. So, but that suited me at the time. I just wanted to get my head down yeah. and be anonymous. But um, Wilton is a nice spot, grand yeah. and quiet. But I seen your one man show there recently. Um. Want to tell us a little bit about that show and the context to it? Um, yeah. So I, so I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. Just throw it out there, like. Throw it out there. Get it out there. <laughs> get it out of the way. And uh, I, I kind of like things I was seeing about alcohol on, on screen and shows and stuff. It all, it's always very gritty, very depressing. And my drinking was very gritty and depressing, and I ended up suicidal, like. But. Mm. But I'm a comedian, like, so I was always seeing the funny side in it, even when I was in it. I, I'd only be just coming round again, and I'd be thinking, like, fuck, that was horrific, all right. But also, that was hilarious. Like. Madness, <laughs> really. Like. So, so even while you were caught up in alcoholism, you were still quite happy in yourself. I, well, there was just a mixture of emotions, like. I mean, you yeah. you know addiction. It's it's not one thing. It's not all grim at all. Like, I mean, I was causing chaos in my life and, and lives of other people. But I found that, like, when I was drinking, I was generally in good form. Like, it's not a very comfortable thing to say, but, like, 
I mightn't be allowed to see my, my daughter, like, and I'd be after missing work and I'd be in no other jobs. And I had, like, great working opportunities when I was young. I was working in RT. It was a dream job and stuff, like, and I'd be in Charlie's and the show I should have been on in television was on the fucking telly, like, you know what I mean? I knew so, I knew your face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, there's it's a lot comes of... Back. It's come back. comes back. There's stuff under the, under the bridge, like, you know? But, uh, <laughs> but, like, I couldn't but find that funny. So then, yeah, I just wanted to do a show that captured... And also, I found... Because there would be drug taking as well or whatever, but I found just alcohol was very surreal as well. Like my my experiences were very surreal, getting into scenarios that were surreal. But also when you're left on your own and you're after being out for, because I'd be a binge drinker, and you know you could be out for four or five days drinking very hard, like, and your 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 mind would be just twisted. So in my mind there'd be stuff I'd have very lucid dreams that might include things like cardboard cutouts of Sonia O'Sullivan. Mm keeping your company or or E.T. or these kind of characters, yeah. you know, would, would kind of come to life. So I was like, if I could put that in the show, almost as the main thing that we're kind of laughing and then as kind of get it in the back door if I had anything serious to say about alcoholism. And I didn't. Like, the show has no answers. I have no answers. I just have my own recovery story. Like, you're, like mm-hmm. we're talking earlier, I just have my journey. I don't mm-hmm. know. Do you know, when you're talking about binge drinking, are you talking about periods of sobriety and then madness for a period of time oh, and then yeah. back into sobriety? Like, I was doing my leave insert. I stopped drinking during my leave insert. And that was unusual. Like, I went to Spurtnave. It was a relatively good school. It was, like, a lot of good, good boys in that year. Like... And I was a good boy. Like, I was trying to be a good boy. But there'd be alcoholism in my family. I won't go into the details of my family, like, because yeah. that's... I'm, like, it's their story, like. myself, exactly, exactly yeah. yeah. But I knew when I was 18 that I had to stop drinking to, to do my leaving cert. What age were you, you, know? you when you started drinking? When I started, I'd say, late. Not Well, well like, for the gang of us that were hanging around, I'd say I was, like, 16, maybe 15, 16, mm. drinking in any... But like fr- from the first drink, and as I say, there would there would be drugs as well. But like drugs were a means to keep myself awake, to keep drinking. It was always drink, like. And from the first drink, like it's just, I just fucking loved tell, it. Like, can you tell us a little bit about the Thai pre-drink? What was leading to the drink? Were you like the Thai we- pre-drink was very kind of fastidious. I was like a good student. My my brothers were way wilder than I was. I was like a good little boy. I was like the the youngest child, kind of a bit of a mammy's boy. Well, she wanted me to be anyway, but I had this kind of wanton kind of. I was mad for road, but I didn't have the courage to do it, kind of thing. And I was like maybe not a straight A student, but I was a good student. And then junior certain night, I had a few cans, and I said, and I was up in, up in my friend's back, going round Sir Henry's like just free as a bird, and the release was like. Oh, this is what I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed mm. to be a party boy, like. But I, I, I just couldn't find a route into it when I was sober. I was a bit stuffy, you know. I kind of want my brothers like are older than me, and they're kind of working men, and they're tough, and they're they're fighters, and they're you know. And I was none of that. I was kind of like sitting under a tree reading poetry type of fella, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I felt like a little bit like an oddball. But then as soon as I started drinking, I was like, oh, he's one of us, all right. Like this yeah. is he's part of the yeah. the family here. He's fucking wild out. Suddenly I was a hard man. Overnight, I mm-hmm. went to school the next day and one of the lads in my class went, oh, here he is, the alcoholic. He actually used the word alcoholic and at the time I was like, brilliant. This is a badge of honour now. Mm. This is my identity. Like You were being noticed for the first time in your life. Exactly. I wasn't you know? the nerd anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And from there on in, I was like, yeah, if I can keep being the nerd and drink, that's all right too. I still wanted to do well in school and I wanted to do those. I was 
yeah it was a fantasy really like to kind of keep everything going and drink but I found that like as my 20s were going on it was impossible you couldn't have you couldn't be an addict and have your substances mm. and keep your life going as well sadly yeah. you, you were functioning for a period of time but inevitably it all kind of goes belly up don't it exactly yeah and and as, as I say like you know it's frustrating for the people around you with the type of drinker I was I think because when I was around I felt I was good I was a kind of a good fella like you mm. know what I mean or I even felt like because I had a kid when I was quite young and you know when you're caught up in, in addiction I was kind of thinking to myself but when I'm around I'm a good dad do you know what I mean mm. like that that's the way I thought at the time I was like is it the worst thing in the world that I go missing for three or four days every month? Cause Make never, up for it when you're there, like. Because I'm a great dad when I'm there. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I mean, now, obviously, like, I'm in my late 30s now. Like, I look back and I know, and I cringe at my thinking, but that's that That was my thinking, like, you know? Well, I suppose when you're there, as you said there, I'm a great dad when I'm there. I could relate to that as well, my own kids. Yeah. But I really wasn't there. Because I was trying to be the father, but all I wanted to do was go back out and have a drink or take a drug. 100%. You know, it's, yeah. uh, it's crazy how it works, like. I can relate as well with the 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 using, the start of the using, and just feeling like this is what you're supposed to do. And I remember taking ecstasy, you know, and just thinking, like, this is right for me. This makes me feel yeah. everything I don't want to, I don't know, everything I, everything I was lacking in, in sobriety in ecstasy gave me. And it was like, fucking hell, this... And I just ran with it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think as well, uh, in in my neighbourhood and my peers, and I, I, I wouldn't have been as tough as the boys. The boys would be tougher now, like what you're talking about. Right. Like, but I had a reputation then for being able to take loads of drugs and get into a lot of trouble and <laughs> get the best of getting scripts off doctors. and you know, <laughs> That was the badge of honour, you know what I mean? The boys yeah. were hardy. Yeah. I died my role in it then, you know? My yeah. identity, like, was formed in that. You know, and at the time it was great and all, but very hard to shake that identity when you've enough. You know, yeah. Um, and try and present as James, the person that's not a drug user anymore. Who the fuck are you, and who 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 do you belong to now? You know, and it's yes. very easy to fall back into it. Exactly, because yeah, as you say, I wanted to feel part of something as well. Like as I say, I wanted to drop the image of the nerdy kind of guy, but I found that when I was became part of something, then a lot of the people I was hanging out with. There was people that were drinking and drugging as hard as I as I was, but it didn't seem to affect their heads as much. So then I started feeling alone again, and that was a process that went on for the whole of my twenties. Where I was like, "Why isn't his head dropping? Like this fella's out longer than I was. But my head used to just start start to drop. It's the mm-hmm. only way I could put it. Like, it do you just... ever think about how people and that we've come across this too? You take the same drugs as certain people, but they can have productive lives and raise their kids and never get into trouble. And how can they do it? Do you know what, though, James? That's like I often thought of that as well. But what brings me back then is I, I, I'd be thinking they're probably going through the same stuff, but they probably just don't talk about it. Do you know what I mean? I think it's the if you've experienced some level of neglect or trauma or abuse mm. uh, you're way more yeah. susceptible to picking up the substance use disorders mm. later in life and you mightn't just get to that breaking point like I was the, at the time so I was in and out of recovery for years but I up until today I kind of had some sort of a, a road to Damascus in 2015 that summer that was the one for me but at the time it was horrific but now I'm so glad that it happened like I was only talking to somebody about this recently I actually feel sorry for people that their lives are kind of wrecked 
from substances, but they never it never gets so bad that they have to change. Yeah. Whereas I had to change. Like there was yeah. no because even in early recovery where people are saying, you know what, she's fair play, you know, for sticking with it or whatever. And I was like, tried no choice. Like yeah. I felt I was gonna die. I felt like it was kind of and it was no big drama, like it wasn't like the law or anything like that. It was just I felt myself dying in my head. It's the yeah. only way I could put it. Do you know when you're trying to explain that to a family member of somebody that's an addiction? Uh, how when how what do they have to do to stop or mm. you know and you're trying to it's it's very hard to explain to them about the rock bottom thing you know yeah. that they have to hit the rock bottom because we all know you have to literally hit yeah. your rock bottom to be ready and and yeah. fixing the problem for them all the time sometimes prolongs the whole thing because totally. as you were talking there the full consequences are never actually reached. And until you're just, you know what, if that's the life he wants to live, the drugs and the madness and the alcohol, leave him. And leave yeah. him come to the point where he wants help. But if you keep on fixing the problem and there's no consequences, it's just going to be a long, drawn-out process. Yeah. And I never make any changes without pain anyway. Mm. Like, horrific pain is the only thing that would... So, yeah, like, you, you deny somebody the opportunity if you, if you step in too much. Like, tough love definitely worked for me anyway. Mm. I would say that, like, but... But yeah, like I just feel so blessed that it did happen now. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not saying that to try and put out a positive message. I really yeah. mean it. Yeah. Do you know the way at the start where people say to you, like, they were so glad they found out they were alcoholics or whatever. When I heard that at the start, I was like, well, that's a lie anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure, we're like ostracized by society. But I know what they mean. Now I really yeah. am. There's something to focus on then. The focus yeah. on. Or like, like we were just talking before this started. Like the, my big thing when I kicked off, I was like, because I went to my first meeting when I was 24, right? But like, I just thought at the time, like, what am I going to do now? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, what the fuck am I going to... Like, my whole my family... Life is over. My life's over. Like, <laughs> like, don't get me wrong, not everyone in my family, I have to, I have to clarify again, my family are not no. uh, all alcoholics. <laughs> but they're, be, they're drinkers. Like, it's a drinking, working class family or whatever. Like most. Like most in Cork, whatever. It's the whole identity. Like, when I was a kid, I loved the smell of a pub. Do you know, mm. I used to love hanging out with my old man, like... I love chatting to old lads about soccer and they give me all the info about like different European teams and stuff and I just lapped it up. I was intoxicated by the pub before I ever picked up a point. It's like, what the fuck am I going to do now? And I also realised as well, even though I was putting on this front as this kind of like outgoing guy, I was fucking so shy and insecure and I realised the drink was helping me to just manage social anxiety. Like, mm-hmm. so it's like how am I going to socialise now and how am I going to fill my time is the other thing. Like, And now... Again, without being cheesy, like, I don't know how I'm going to... I don't know how I do the stuff I do. Because I don't have enough time. My life is mm-hmm. so full with stuff that I love. And I never think of going and getting wrecked, like, ever. You raise a very interesting point there <laughs> about uh, growing up and being socialised in an environment where alcohol, the pub and that environment was the very normal part of life. And during the lockdown, we've seen... in the, uh, Because pubs are closed... People building bars out in their back gardens and their garden sheds and stuff like that, you know. Um, looks great, little games rooms and all yeah. that, you know. But you need to be very careful about bringing the kegs and the pub tops into the home and children growing up in that environment. Because when mm-hmm. that child gets into his teens, the alcohol is going to be so normal. The drinking, like bringing the drink home, the drink is in the pub, it can get... It can get um, it can it can turn bad, and yeah. just people need to be careful of that. You know, mm-hmm. having the separation between home and pub is kind of blurred with COVID. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. This 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 studio was um, 
There's a man cave and they, they say, this is what I done all my drinking and drugging. Go away, well. Yeah. You know, I'd be sitting Jesus. in here, I could be in here for days and days, you know. Um, but fortunately, unfortunately, fortunately, my kids were um, sheltered away from all that by my wife. But look at what you're doing in it now, like, that's... Do you know, it's complete circle, opposite. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's completely flipped. Yeah. You know, so it, it's fantastic, you know, but... As James was saying, it is it's very important as well to to these particularly young kids that they don't think that to be doing it's just a normal like it can you can be more prone to developing alcoholism if you're growing up in an environment where alcohol is in your everyday and if it's in your yeah. backyard and it's in your house, it's in you're going to the pub, everything is about alcohol. It's just, it can be dangerous, you know what I mean? And people need to be aware of that. Yeah, like I agree with you 100%. The only thing I would say on that is that I, I, I think as well that it comes down to the person a bit as well, you know? Like, I definitely wouldn't want to wouldn't want to be one of these people, like, post-drink that's like, drink is bad or mm. evil or anything like that. No. I don't think that's a useful um, road to go down in recovery that I found, like, there was something about me and alcohol together, the two of us together, like load of hassle and mm. ultimately <laughs> wanting to self-harm like you know yeah. what I mean I can't put it any other way really and a weird relationship because when it started off it seemed like that we were fucking going to be friends till the end but I I have no problem with people drinking these days I know it's probably course, slightly different that. with drugs like a little bit you know what I mean it's it's easier to kind of say well that's it's not going to work I don't think that's going to go really well for you if you start getting into hard drugs usually Drink like most of my friends still socialise with drinking stuff, and I I'd rather them having a few drinks if I was in their company when pubs are open and stuff. But yeah, that I mean that would be just something that I kind of always try to say, like especially for younger people who are trying to get recovery, like to to not get into this kind of mentality of like, oh that's evil now, like, mm. and we have to stay away from that. Mm. It, you you need to rejoin society. And, and like. let me be clear: if I could have a drink with no consequences, I'd be drinking. 100%. But I cannot drink most people can drink yeah most people have no problem with drink and they can have a drink at home and they can have a little man cave out their back and that's great for them yeah i can't do that and there's people out there that maybe can't do it yet and might not know about it true and you just have to be careful that's all i'm saying do you know what i mean that's all i'm saying but i don't not drink people i know people that smoke weed fair for complaint to them if I thought I could have a joint without getting super anxious yeah. and shitting in the corner, you know, you know <laughs> I can't, or getting a ghosty or a panic attack, no. that's my weed. You know? yeah, yeah. I could only ever do anything like that when I was full of Valium or Xanax or something where I was completely mellowed and then I could take all this other stuff <laughs> because there was a bit of a kilt or a bit yeah, of an equilibrium. Yeah, yeah. But if I didn't have the Xanax and the Valium, I couldn't do fuck all. Yeah. You know, so there's, that's important as well, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but... Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about um, how the drinking came to a head, how you got into recovery in that process? Yeah, so so yeah, so like I had, as I say, I had a daughter when I was quite young and I would, um, you know, I would say I was doing my finals in college and I'd stop drinking for that. I stopped drinking for my leaving, sir. When my daughter came along, I was enamoured with her. I just fell in love with her and I, I, I used to love new things, you know, like I'm doing a new thing now for a while. Like, oh, I'm after getting this new job. I'm all about that for two months. I won't <laughs> drink. Like, what a guy. And then I get bored again, and then mm. I go on a roiler, and then everyone is like, where is he? Phone calls. My phone was my biggest enemy. Like, I'd turn on my phone after being off for three or four days, and you'd have 30 texts and phone calls from people and stuff like. And again, at the time, I didn't appreciate, like, these people are worried. Mm. I didn't. You, you you felt they were wrecking your buzz. Just my buzz, yeah. put a dent on it. Like, yeah. yeah. I was like, I've had a hard enough life. Yeah. You know, yeah. my dad died when I was young. Like, yeah. you know, I, I, like, I, I love the idea of myself as this kind of victim, and I was like, 
And plus, I'm great crack. I'm out, I'm fucking enjoying myself. People are enjoying me. Like, well, not, not, me <laughs> not no one, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't, I did, it was years later, I was like, oh, they're worried about you that you were going to get killed, man. Because the yeah, places no. I didn't, like, as I say, my brothers were, our brothers are tough men. I tell them people I'd been drinking with their places that I was and their face would go ashen like. They're like, Jesus, man, you can't, you know. Because yeah. when it came to drink, I'd fucking drink with anyone or I'd go anywhere. Or, and I'm not judging them. I was, I was worse than them in many ways, like. I probably had you with me as one stage. <laughs> I definitely knew your, knew your face. Like <laughs> anybody could be in my company, like anybody at all. No, I could be anywhere, end up anywhere. And if you're, if you're funny, Timmy wants to crack her oh, own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there's definitely a morning in Charlie's, and I know it's like. Uh, but but can, um, can I ask you? Uh, course. Can I ask you about your dad? You just briefly touched on it there, but I say it had a big impact on you. Huge. Huge what impact, age yeah. I was eighteen. I was doing my I was doing my Christmas exams of leaving sort of year, and I was just I was actually obsessed with him. I mm. just thought he was just a brilliant man. Do you know what I mean? Like he was just an ordinary working class Cork man, but he taught me everything I needed to know about life. He just did things for people, and he wouldn't mention it. He had like the kind of thing I suppose that we tried to foster in recovery. He seemed to have it innately. He mm. just had an inner sense of gratitude, and. He wasn't a big showman. He just went about his business. And yeah, my life was just like when he died. But like, it was excruciatingly painful. But because I was already on my way with drinking, I was kind of going, this is this mm. is perfect now, like really. Because I'm just going to do whatever I want now. I'm like, I'd have a daughter probably only about a year and a half later. My dad died young. And there was lots of other things going on in the family, shall we say. So I was like, put all these things together. I'm just going to do what I want and I did mm. you know I used it I totally used it and I had to come to terms with that too you know what I mean to move beyond the victim thing like that I was like you can't treat people like shit because you feel that you've been dealt a tough hand to fill up the road mm. is a worse hand than I have do you think the alcohol was a type of self-medication through the trauma of the death yeah and also I was I was afraid of him as well and and you know like a healthy fear not a bad fear yeah. I was like I wouldn't if I I wouldn't come in with drink on me in front of him because he was a tough man, like, and even as he was older, I was the youngest, but even as he was older, I was like, he still yeah, hate me, like, him, like <laughs> oh, it sounds like you really respect him. Yeah. I respected mm. him so much, by, in fact, he personified respect for me, mm. he was respect, yeah. <clears throat> do you know what I mean, when he died, I was like, there's no one else around here I respect, I certainly don't respect anyone in school or anything like that, and then kind of overnight, I became quite self-destructive or whatever and I just thought yeah I'm on a roiler now like so it did it affected me a lot and I, I went to counsellors at the time in college and stuff and they were like you know you think you've um you've struggled to accept your father's death or whatever and I was like sure of course mm. but what are we going to do what what are we going to do about it though you know and it was like I think we were talking about meditation beforehand it was only when I started meditating I felt like oh there's a practical solution to this because a counsellor just pointing out you haven't dealt with your dad's death. I know that, love. That's you, why I'm here. And you don't know how to deal with it then. How, you, how do you deal with something like no. that? You know, All I knew was that when I drank, I didn't feel anything at all. The drink played a part, a role in, in you kind of getting over your father's death as well. Totally. Do you know? Tot- and it helped me as well. Yeah. That's, that's what's complicated about addiction, I think. Yeah. It really helped me it, for a long time. Yeah, I always say it. I always say the alcohol and drugs, uh, as much as they nearly killed me in the end, they saved me as well early yeah. on in my life because I, I, I don't know how way I would have turned out. No, same here. Like yeah. I suicidal around eighteen, but when I started taking tablets, as bad as my life was, no overdoses and going in and out of courts and everything, I there was no more suicide attempts. 
Yeah. You know, so yeah, yeah. it medicated my way until I became to a place where I was actually ready to address it. You know, so it's fucked up, like, but it does help you get through dark times as bad as life is, at least you're not dead, you know? I think it's brilliant that you're saying that, though, because that's a full picture of what it's like as opposed to stuff that you're supposed to say. You know, mm. when you're talking to someone young or something, you're supposed to say, oh, it's all bad, don't touch it. Mm. It's not quite like that. Like, yeah. you know, neither are you saying go off and become an addict. Like, but like, we say, and um, you for, have to be honest. Do you know, for yeah. people, do you know, for people that self harm, we've done self harm training a few years ago with my old job, you know. And you were saying, if you're with a client or a young person or somebody you're working with is cutting themselves, don't ever tell them, stop cutting themselves. Because that cutting themselves is a release. And if they don't have that release, they're a high risk of suicide. Correct. And it's better yeah, they're yeah. cutting themselves because we can work with them when they're alive. And it's the same with the drugs and okay. the drink. You you try harm reduction, you try make it safe until the conditions are right or until they're in a place that they can address it. But don't ever tell them stop. Like if yeah. you're looking at homeless people at the moment, if they didn't have drugs, they'd be in the river. How Absolutely. can they cope with that life tell without being medicated? And what, like? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, Unless yeah. you give them a house and then we can fucking address it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But don't be trying to address my addiction when no. I'm on the street because the one thing that's keeping me out of that river. You know, so yeah. it is a paradox. Totally, it's complicated. Like I think, we're, I think t- times are changing. Though I think people are becoming a lot more aware of, of not that there's a benefit to using drugs and alcohol, but there is certainly something there that is actually people are surviving. I think we're moving away from a demo- it's a moral deficiency or it's a, an individual pathology. You know, it's like. You're taking drugs, your fault, your circumstances take control of your life, you're a bad person. I think we're moving away from that. And Slowly. Really, yeah. But surely. Yeah. No, it's definitely happening, but it is yeah. slow, yeah. Some countries actually can see that there's something behind people using drugs, that it's not just a choice to go away and get stoned and to be involved in crime or whatever else. There's actually something behind it, uh, particularly yeah. Portugal. They've looked at it and they've looked yeah. at yeah. trauma being most definitely uh, the circumstance behind a lot of people's addictions and alcoholism and whatever, you know. Um, and I think it's something like yeah. we get we we'll get there, like but you know, Ireland, yeah. like we drag our totally. heels and we're very conservative. We're very fast in changing other stuff. Then I know, yeah, like uh, free market <laughs> politics and free market <laughs> economics, not a, <laughs> not a bother. Yeah. Yeah, Privatise yeah. the whole app. We'll do that overnight. Absolutely. But um, that's another podcast. Yeah. But uh, do you want to tell us a bit? Yeah. So sorry, I was I went off on a tangent, but yeah. So, so I'd stopped drinking for for periods. <clears throat> As I said, a lot of great opportunities. I got a good good few gigs with RT when I was younger, and I was like, I'd stop for that for a while. Then I went off. Like I'd go off for six months. I find that no, I found that no bother. You know, so mm. I didn't have like a. I didn't have a daily kind of compulsion to drink, but the the kind of mood would take me again then. And there was what I found then was that like if I did have that first drink, there was nothing, and I mean nothing would stop me. Like you know what I mean. So just one one example, one really like sad example of like supposed to have my daughter for the weekend, like twenty fourth, maybe twenty five, twenty six. I was maybe and um, I'd been off it for six months. And what would happen then is because I'd be, as I say, I'm a good boy when I'm off it. So people get used to it. And my ex was used to it. And my family was used to it and stuff. But then I would just go and I, and, and nobody knows again. So like my daughter is at my mother's house with her mom in the rain. And I'm supposed to have her for the weekend because her mom is going away playing a, a violin concert. Like, and I, to this day, I don't know what happened with my daughter that weekend. You know, these kind of things mm-hmm. like, 
and like I, I don't think I was a bad person I wasn't an evil person whatever like that stuff tore me apart do you know I what I mean I understand like, that completely do you know I've, exa- I've done the exact same stuff I understand a million percent you know where there's things that you're really like for weekends now we, I was supposed to go out with Nicole on weekends there with the kids and it would be planned for a month in advance and I'd go missing the night before yeah. the phone would be off you know I'd, I'd ruin everything what was the most or even a holiday if we went away on a holiday we'd be in Spain or something I'd go missing for days you know it's not something that you'd be proud of when you say it you know it's just it's, it's just part of the mm. story that I lived yeah you know no can you explain to me then um, uh, for the people watching like when you fuck up that time and you're after leaving people alone what are you feeling and like whoa. Like, you wake up, for me anyway, you wake up when you come round. Well, I keep going anyway, first of all, so I can f- I know I'm after doing wrong. So the phone goes off, then is the first thing that happens. And the next thing then is more more drinking drugs, I suppose. But the the character of the session changes completely then for the next couple of days. It's just self-destructive. And the, the, the grittier the people I can get myself around, the better. I don't want any more laughing. Like, I just want obli- obliteration, yeah. like, you know. Yeah. But then when I finally come round, I wake up the next morning and the substances have left your system a bit, it feels. It's just a flash of of death, really, is the only way I could describe mm-hmm. it. Like, it, it would, without being overtly suicidal, like, it, I, I don't, I wouldn't get out of the bed and go, I'm going to go and do something now, but it would be easier to be dead. Mm-hmm. That's the best way I could describe it. Like, rather than have to face these people again now, the shame would be so extreme Mm. I think to myself like wouldn't it have been better off if I just fucking passed away there in the middle of the night like mm. that, that's, that's, that's how it is that's it you know I'm what I mean I'm sitting like, here and I'm just take, well, while I'm sitting here listening to you I'm just thinking of the times that it actually I felt like that it would have been a lot you easier know? in that yeah. day I felt like that a lot um, but you know fortunately <laughs> fortunately we're here and, yeah. and we're, we're able to talk about our stories and, and hopefully people will be able to relate to them and we'll be able to give them a bit of a bit of uh, light at the end of the tunnel kind yeah. of there's going to be loads of people going to be able to relate with that that's why yeah. I wanted to probe a little bit on that because that's something we've all experienced in addiction turning off the phone avoiding responsibilities but the party runs out eventually Yeah, that, there is a morning where everybody's gone home the drugs are gone the money is gone the drink is gone and you're left with messages, missed calls, people are let down, people are disappointed, jobs are lost, homes are broken, opportunities are gone, um, and it's the same old story. And it's how do you how do you build your life back from that? And what steps did you take to make amends and to, I suppose, become successful today? Yeah, so all, so it was, that was the pattern on and off the whole my twenties. I was living in a gaff then in my thirties, and I I was living with a couple of girls, and they were younger than me, and they had jobs, and they were getting up, and they were having showers, and they were driving cars and stuff. And I, a girl came in one day that I lived with. She was a lovely girl, and I was just sitting in a in a gaff, and there was about four or five lads in the gaff, and they were all my kind of ilk, except they were older and they were a bit further down the road of addiction, shall we say? And there was like <clears throat> paraphernalia of activities all over the ground, and cans and ashtrays, and so she just came in. She just looked at me. And I just you could see the the way she looked at me just made me feel ashamed. Like, I'm sure people were looking at me like that all the time. I just didn't see it. On this particular occasion, I saw it through her eyes. And I just felt, I'm I'm a, I'm a low life now, like, in her eyes. I, I'm one of these people that I thought I'd never, because cause I got a massive ego as well. I think when you, when you have trauma when you're young, 
you have to create this ego to kind of get through things, don't you? Like, yeah. So I, I created this false self. I was like, <clears throat> I know I'm a heavy drinker and stuff, but I'm going to sort this out. I'm smarter than this. I'm going to vote smart addiction. Like, And I, I suddenly realized then I was like, this isn't going to, it's not going to change at all, you know? So so that summer, I, I, I spent the summer, when I first stopped drinking, I was worse for about two or three months. Like I was genuinely totally suicidal when I stopped because I realized, oh, this is, my anesthetic is gone. Like I've been using this to, to stop myself from feeling my whole life. Um, but in that summer, I just surrounded myself that had good recovery, basically. But people that had good recovery, you you obviously had somebody in your life <coughs> at the time that me. you could go to. Somebody helped you along that time, you know. I did because I'd been in and out of recovery for years, like so. I, I knew where the right people were, and a big part of it for me was was meditation. Then as well, like you know what I mean. That's the obviously recovery groups and stuff. I obviously won't talk about that specifically, but like they they serve a huge purpose purpose being around the right people but there's a journey that has to go on inward as well I found that my head was completely scrambled when I finally I felt like I'd finally put down the substances my head was totally scrambled and I do this type of meditation called transcendental meditation like whatever works for for what whoever but that one for me just really it was the most scientifically proven I felt and it was the least kind of I didn't have to hold hands I didn't have to burn incense that kind of stuff just didn't what does it involve what does <clears throat> sorry um it's like uh, you do 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the afternoon. It's a mantra-based meditation. Mm-hmm. I first got attracted to it because Jerry Seinfeld, the comedian, was doing it. And I was kind of obsessed with him. <laughs> and he was doing it. I was like, well, whatever he's doing, I want a bit of that like to get funnier. <laughs> um, and, and it is hugely helpful for creativity. But the other side of it is like it works in tandem with addicts really well. Because it just, again, I'm repeating myself. But I, I, I found myself very, it was very hard to kind of get recovery when my brain was that scrambled. Mm-hmm. I couldn't talk to people. Like, I just couldn't. I was getting in on and off buses. I felt like I was developing an anxiety disorder that wasn't even there beforehand. But actually, it was just for me. It was just the anxiety of being parted from the substances that were were helping me to live my life. Um, but this this TM thing it just fucking settled down my my brain, and I could also feel it kind of healing, like some of the trauma, you know, or maybe releasing some of the trauma that was mm. in my stomach. I felt like there was stuff that probably had happened to me. That I just totally blocked blocked out because I had a lot of blackouts. Mm. I was like kind of a blackout drunk, you know. Um, and I think there was stuff stored in my body, like both stuff that had happened to me and guilt of hurting other people and letting people down. And slowly but surely, this thing just kind of started releasing it from me, whatever. And I've been doing it now five years, and I've never missed a session since I started doing it. Care. But it's it, it's so good though, you know what I mean? It's not like it's like brushing my teeth now. I would not do it. <laughs> That's what I was, that was, I was just I mean? going to say. It. As was mentioned to me when I started meditating at the beginning, uh, I was told if you can create um, a routine in your life, like for instance, brushing, get up, getting up, brushing your teeth in the morning, but in 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 meditation, if you can do that, you will never ever miss a day. Mm. No, it took a lot of time. You know, I'm fighting yourself. Meditation was like a chore at yeah. one stage. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, I have to sit down now and meditate. But after a while, the en- the energy started to shift within my body and I started looking forward to it because I was feeling better in my daily life. And that's when that's when it changed. Yeah. That's when the penny just dropped and said, oh, this is it. This exactly. Is it. Like, I felt I could kind of start working on myself after the meditation then do you know what I mean because I couldn't I can't go through all the stuff I'm after doing to people when my head is scrambled like that's not that's not a safe thing to do I didn't think but when the meditation kicked in then I was able to kind of 
go to a sponsor and go through a program and take responsibility for the stuff that had that I'd done. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like that's because that's what it comes down to. Like I, I kind of wanted change. I didn't want to not be drinking and still have my head because mm. that would be a nightmare. That no would be good. worst case scenario. Yeah, no good. No good. Like no, no good. That guy would have to go back drinking. Yeah, and and that guy did go back drinking on and off for twelve years. Joe, mm. because you know, I I would get so far and then the same stuff would start coming up again. And I would just the only solution to it was a binge yeah. again. Like you know. It's interesting that you're talking about the 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 chanting, the transcend. Yeah, mantra. Yeah, yeah, mantra based, based meditation, yeah. like Namyo Horenge Kyo, something like that. You know. <laughs> yeah. But I'm reading the book at the moment, and they're talking about um, survivors of childhood traumas and abuse and neglect and all these things. Um, how I suppose non-pharmacological methods of dealing with it. So moving away from antidepressants and stuff yeah. like that no they have a place as yeah, well yeah. don't get me wrong <clears throat> but this guy is talking about how in different cultures around the world people using this stuff for centuries you know what i mean like chanting um dancing meditation yoga pilates all these things are very good for people that suffer from childhood traumas um and that's one method mm. but there's loads of other things people can try like the yoga like the stuff that you can just turn on youtube and do it in your front room, you know, but it's just kind of becoming aware of your 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 mind, your body, um, the dance. And then he was talking about, you know, having close contact with another human being is good as well, you know, yeah. um, and having trust in another person. And, you know, so like just for people watching, you know, there's, totally. there's loads of methods to do it. You found your one, Timmy found his one. There's loads out there. Exactly. And maybe it could be a bit of column A and a bit of, bit of column B. Like, we're exactly. all on our own journey. Mm. That's so true. I wouldn't get bogged down with telling people, like, this is the thing that you have to do. There's no have to. We're, mm. all, we're all different. But all these things, they seem to do similar things, like, don't they? They seem to kind of, they kind of kick the ego out a little bit, which was my big problem, I felt. And ego for me is not like I think I'm so great. It's just I think about me mm. all the time. That's my ego. It's like, what about me? What about me? Like... I, I think I think to myself, what about me? A lot less these days. Because you're in the here and the now. Like when you're dancing, you're only focusing on where your feet are going. Exactly. When you're yoga, you're only focusing on your posture and your breathing. The same at meditation, you're focusing on your breath, your mantra. You're always giving you something to focus on in the moment. And that's where the healing occurs. Yeah. When you're not in the like everyday life, we're always up in our head at the adult side of our brain thinking about bills and fucking yes. Christmases and viruses <clears throat> and you know car insurance or whatever you know mm-hmm. but for one hour of the day or one half an hour of the day you're taking away from all that and you're just in the moment and even a small half an hour as I said or an hour can have such a huge benefit for you you know just to get out of the adult the madness totally there's this guy there I, I listened to his podcast there during the week you know um, and I don't really listen to a podcast unless it resonates with me are my own stuff. Uh, this guy's name is Ed Moylet. He's an American guy. Um, he's probably one of the best on the planet for for speaking about. He's so knowledgeable right. about, and he speaks about patterns. You know, pat life patterns that we have in our lives. Like, and I have a pattern there. Say, for instance, I say, for, if if I'm trying to look after my physical, my body, and, and get to a certain place, I get three quarters of the way 
And then I say, oh, right, I'm grand. I'm too busy now to go to the gym. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah. or whatever. Or say, <clears throat> if, it's, if, if, if it's a different food plan or, or whatever it may be. Or say, for instance, uh, a course I might be doing online. I get to a certain place, you know, and I'm dropped. And I was listening to this guy the other day. And I looked at the patterns that I have in my own life. And since that, since I, I looked at them and I'm able to notice them, I've stopped. You know, for instance, there now I'd go into the front room with my wife and the kids, and we'd sit down and and we'd throw a movie on, and we'd eat our dinner. Sometimes, not all the time, a lot of the time we'd sit at the table. But I've actually, I when I'm sitting down then and I'm watching the telly, and it's like I'm not enjoying it at all because I'm looking at the telly, and I I, I want everybody to be quiet. So I, it was a pattern that I had yes. ingrained into myself. It usually happened on the weekend, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, or whatever. And I stopped it the other day and it was so much better wow. just to sit at the table with my two kids, my wife, and just talk about the day or whatever. It was a pattern. Yes. We all have these patterns, but you have to become aware of them mm. yourself. But you have to be in a certain place in your life. For instance, if you're an addict or an alcoholic, you're not going to be able to have the awareness to pick out what patterns that you don't no. want in your life. No. You know, Very good. because you're caught up in your head around your addiction or your mm. the alcohol or whatever it may be. Leo Vragkerner would call that a circuit breaker. Yeah. Circuit breaker. Now, I wouldn't be his biggest fan, <laughs> but I think he's right there. You know, like, I try to do that in my own life. I'm, why are you always doing this? Coming up to Christmas there now, in my family, we have this thing where, like, this person gives you this amount of money, you give that amount of money. We could just, at the start of the year, say, like, it's going to even out, lads. Let's let's just ha- spend some time together. Instead yeah, of this, call you know, it quits. <laughs> just, could we just break that circuit? Do you know, do you know what I mean? Like... But uh, no, yeah, totally. I know what you're saying, right? You have, we can have positive ones as well. Pa- positive patterns, Oh, yeah. You know, and negative. But um, it's just about catching the ones that you really... Like, if you're doing one... If you if you have a pattern in your life um, and it's something that you know you shouldn't be doing, that's a pattern. Mm. You know? I'm thinking of one here and over myself is no. around the fitness, you know? I yeah. could have a goal in fitness and I could get into a good shape where I'm... No, I'm never looking to be like a fucking fitness model, six pack ripped. Just a nice, healthy kind of a, you know. Um, and I'm nearly there, and then I fuck it up, and you know, it's like but why the fuck. You know what he says? Well, the most important thing about it is is to realize that it's actually something that's constantly repeating itself. It's very disheartening. Yeah. Mm. So if you actually know about it, it's ninety percent of the battle. So the next time you know it's a pattern, you just continue, keep going. For instance, right, I'll finish this now because I don't want to waffle on. In college, for This me, is a pattern, no, Tim. In, <laughs> this, this is a fact, right? In college for me, thanks, James. <laughs> I'll stop after this. You're one, grand, I promise. You're You're for me, um, in college, when I was doing my fourth year, everything within me, I mean, this truthfully wanted me to stop the packet in. And I want, I want, I just, I fought a tooth and nail to get over the line and just finish my degree. You know, it was like I was being pulled and I was spending long, long days inside trying to finish uh, reports and assignments and stuff. Yeah. You know, because I would have never finished anything like that before. Something so big in my life, I would just, fuck that thing. Is that an, an addict thing, though? Isn't it? Yeah, like, cause well. if, you, if you're saying the same, were you like that in your addiction? Did you go so far with something and then like just I fuck would, it up at the end? Like I was, and I said this before. I was ruled by my emotion. 
if on the day I didn't feel up for it, I'd quit it. Yeah. Jobs, relationships, yeah. any commitments, I'd walk away if, if I didn't feel it on the day. A big part of my therapy and treatment was if you're feeling shit, still turning up for life yeah. and not being driven by your emotion. Yeah, you can feel pissed off and angry and hurt and unmotivated, but you can, you don't have, that doesn't have to dictate you. You can still get up and go about your mm. business. Do you know what I mean? And that's a big thing that helped me in my recovery. Well, yeah, not every day I'm going around whistling Dixie and happy out and no, skipping. No, no. no, I'm no. pissed off going to work or I'm pissed off opening the laptop and going to college and stuff like that. But I still go because yeah. I know like if you don't turn up, you never get anywhere. And I never got anywhere when he was driven by my emotions. It sounds like you're both talking a little bit about a fear of success as well, doesn't it? Like what'll happen if I actually finish it out and do the yeah. thing like? Yeah. You know, because we all have fear of failure, but there's a fear of success as well, I think. Addicts Especially if you're that. in uncharted waters. Exactly. Uh, none yeah. of your peers have yeah. been where you were and yeah. there's nobody, to, there's no yardstick there. No. Do you know what I mean? It's easier I, to fail there. Yeah. It's not, some, it's not a feeling you're familiar with. You're exactly, not familiar yeah. with the feeling of, uh, of accomplishing something. No. You know? And when I done the, um, the the graduation online a few a few weeks ago or whenever it was, I got that feeling of accomplishment that I, I never had that before. You know, never in my life. It's amazing. You know, man. not so just just that feeling was amazing, and I'm just going to keep adding on to it now. Yeah. You know, from listening to that guy's podcast again, and I'm going to say his name again. His name is Ed Myler. He has a fantastic podcast. He's welcome on our podcast yes. as well. We should yeah. draw that up. And doc, he actually interviews a, a, a Dr. Joe Dispenza on oh, his yes. podcast yeah, as well. Yeah. And go back to the, the first podcast he has done too with him. Go back to the first one. He talks really clearly about the connection between the, the mind and thoughts. Um, and there's another one about success. It's a fantastic podcast as well. Look into them, people, because Defo. I'm actually getting an awful lot in my own life at the moment because I'm entering uncharted waters in my own life because I'm out of college you now and I'm, I'm trying to step into a management role and there's a lot of fear around it, but I'm aware of the fear, but I'm going to face it. And I know I'm capable of com- accomplishing things because I, f- I finished a degree. Yeah, yeah. You know, and no matter how tough it was, I know, no, I can do you did anything else. Yeah. You know, so I just wanted to say that, just in case anybody else is feeling the exact same way. You mentioned there um, graduating and success and just made me think of, you know, when I graduated with my bachelor's degree, the president at the time, uh, he did a little joke, you know, at the end, and, uh, you can't spell success without UCC, which was, <laughs> yeah, that's great, you know what I mean, smart like. <laughs> year later I graduated with my masters I was very disappointed to hear the same joke <laughs> didn't have the same effect yeah. but uh, that brings me nicely on to you you're a comedian how is it how, how do you find being a comedian in sobriety when you don't have the alcohol to give you the, the confidence and all that well because I'm after doing a ferocious work amount of work on myself through the help of other people I should say like I didn't do this at all through a, a, a higher power first of all and through like amazing people in my life like I've incredibly supportive family members and you know just that ex-partner I was on about earlier they're like she, she, like she was an she is an amazing mother like again I didn't see that at the time you know what I mean I just see all these people now to help me and were there for me the whole way through, through my recovery and obviously people people in there as well I just didn't see it at the time but like I'm after doing a lot of work through meditation and and hopefully I'm after changing a little bit like through doing the program and stuff and now because I don't feel that 
certainly not as much that lack inside myself anymore I can go into a pub now without having drink in me because I ha- my work is like that like I'm a musician as well and like I do acting and stuff and like it's all it's all pubs and, and stuff like that I feel that the hole in my soul is after being filled in considerably maybe not all mm. I don't think it, it's possible for it to be fully fill, filled in maybe but it's filled in enough that I can walk in somewhere and think I don't need alcohol I'm okay the way I am. I don't have to feel that nervous. I also don't have to be something for someone. It's not all about me at all. That's the biggest thing that changed in my life, I think, since I got serious recovery. This fucking self-obsession, like, what will they think of me here now? Mm. Actually, they're not thinking anything of you, buddy. They're living their own life. Nobody gives a fuck. Nobody gives a fuck. Like, what (laughs) a feeling to realise that, you know? It's maturity, though. You can only get that with maturity, I I think. I think so, yeah. But you have to chip away it as well. Like, there's... there's a spiritual guy, Anthony DeMello. I listen to a lot of his stuff. You know him. Awareness is a big book of his. It's worth plugging that because, like, I just go back to that book time and time again with all the stuff that's been recommended to me, like philosophy and recovery and whatever. But this book, Awareness, nobody else has kicked that idea out of my head so dramatically as he as he does. Like, you're not that important in a good way. Mm. Like, you're mm. a grand fella. Yeah. but it's not all about you at all like what a relief yeah. it's very you know? important that you say in a good way yeah yeah oh yeah because <laughs> if you don't say that you're in trouble oh yeah I'm not saying that <laughs> like we're all hugely important don't get me yeah. wrong in a it's, good way it's just that we're not important at yeah. all yeah. <laughs> the world doesn't revolve around exactly. us exactly yeah, yeah. I and know. I, f- I find with people drinking in pubs as well like like I'm at the stage now where it's an advantage in many ways to be sober I, I find the, the comedy is probably a lot sharper like I thought I was brilliant when I was drinking but like the work would say otherwise mm. again I never finished anything I'd fucking get a great opportunity and you know you'd be have meetings in RT and you'd be talking to production companies then you'd go missing for a few days and they're dealing with a guy who hasn't gone missing for a few days and there's yeah. loads of them around you're at a disadvantage to, straight oh, away you have a disability like you yeah. have a serious you have a serious hindrance like oh it's gas and were you, are you involved in um CC Cahoots, is it? Yeah, so that was my myself and Claire O'Connell and Laura Omani and Dominic McHale. Um we and Kira and Beth as well. <laughs> Just trying to like don't leave people out now. Yeah. Um yeah, we had a big team of us together, so we're we're not kind of formally doing any stuff together at the moment, but we easily could in the future again. But um, we've all just kind of done our own stuff inside and outside of the group for the last few years, you know. But we met like so myself, Dom and Laura were the three actors in the troupe. The day we met for our first ever meeting to kick off, I was missing. Like, <laughs> oh, I was supposed to meet him in the um, supposed to meet him in the maybe the Raven or something. We were supposed to meet in the Raven, say, and I was in the Roundy. Like, so the other thing as well, when I go missing, like after the first day, I don't give a shit. Then mm. whoever sees me then sees me. Where's the mm. first day? It's like I'd slip into the the quiet pub, or but no. day two it's like fuck him, yeah. and day three then it's like please take me back I'm so sorry you know full gamut of emotions like and I'd say put a strain on your relationship with them they can't rely on you yeah yeah they and they're very supportive in their own way also they they wouldn't have had a huge understanding of addiction Mm. because it was an immediate thing in their family so it was hard at the start because we we started collaborating you know we weren't friends first we started collaborating because we were just we had similar interests in the city and i was like they're both brilliant performers i'd love to put a troupe together with them so when i was going missing at the start i think it was it's just very confusing for somebody that doesn't understand mm. addiction you just think why is this guy constantly letting us down or why is he a bit of a prick like you know but but like i mean if i if i couldn't get myself together for my daughter i certainly wasn't going to get myself together for a comedy yeah. troupe you know what i mean yeah. like you know 
But um, and it's improvised panto season now, isn't it? Yeah, sure. None of that stuff is on it's now. It's shame, and, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that was. I mean, that would be one of the easiest shows you would imagine to kind of get back going after some people allow back into the theaters. But it all it'll all come round again. Do you know, know what I mean? So yeah, like Off I've had. A, yeah, I've had a great year. Like mm. really, like you know, what was the highlight of it? All things being equal. Jesus. You don't want to be upsetting anybody now either. I know, yeah. Well, I did a live stream, I suppose. So the show that you're on about, the solo show, is yeah. called In One Eye Out The Other. And I did a live stream of it. And it was the first time Smock Alley in Dublin had ever done anything of its kind. They got in a load of gear, like a load of cameras to do it. And I'd been, I'd supposed to do like a tour of it. And that was cancelled. I was supposed to go to Edinburgh with it. And that was cancelled. And we had funding coming in and everything. And it was going to be like, again, it was all about me at the start of the year. You see, the pandemic was out to get me, like I felt at the start of the year. <laughs> but then I realized like, oh, actually the whole world's involved with this. But anyway, so the... the <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah. About two million dead Chinese people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, look, very sad, but there's yeah. my tour too, lads. Yeah, I want to make the tour, like, you know, hello, hello. Yeah, I know. It's well, I think, a real I, new story. I, like. th- I think it affected, let's stay in Ireland, right? But I think it affected people in the arts, probably. They're probably the, one of the hardest hit. Like, yeah. we spoke with Chris Kent, you know? Yes. He's oh, a lo- local comedian here. Yeah. Um, we spoke with him. He'd done a small show there in Keno a few months ago, not this stage, yeah. but uh, he said he worked for years to build up his reputation and he's finally sold out. Um, I know he sold out the Everyman and, oh, yeah. and yeah. it was fucking taken from underneath him. By it. It's so disheartening. And that, yeah. that's your sole source of income, like, is your your jokes and having gathering people. And, yeah, you know, how, absolutely. How did you find coping with that? I, I found it okay because, like, that, so that, uh, we ended up doing a live stream of that show, which which was a great way to try and get to people mm. um, in spite of the fact that the live gigs were, were finished. So it was performing to, there's no audience, so you're just performing to, like, this empty space. But I actually loved it, like, and then the the number they were just really pleasantly surprised. The numbers were really good. There was and a few hundred, and yeah, because I, I was logged yeah, in, yeah. and you could see the numbers in the corner. Yeah, yeah, and we got a few the next day as well. And some of the people watching were like Mary Lou Macdonald. And That's stuff right. Like that. so yeah, like, yeah. Like, like about three quarters of Sinn Fein would like share my stuff regularly, and like that has kind of crept in slowly but surely. But again, I don't take it for granted. Mm-hmm. Like at the start, it's like, what the hell is going on? Because they're like, you know, yeah, without getting political or whatever. Like, if you kind of like. If you're that way affiliated, like there's a real warm kind of hug around you, like, and they just kind of look, they look after you, and it's lovely. It's almost like another recovery thing. I've a small like, you know. I've a very smashing fan story. Go on. Do you know when I was on the Tommy Tiernan show? Yeah. Do you know who slid into my DMs? Jerry Adams. Stop. I swear to God. Oh, that's the holy grail, man. I've never a, gotten a, that. A Cara. Well oh. done on your perform. Well done your performance. Well done on your interview on Tommy Tiernan show tonight. Brilliant. You represented yourself and your community really well. Uh, best of luck that like, was it like obviously my recovery isn't going as well as I think it is now because I don't feel good for you there at all now. <laughs> it's just raw jealousy but you know what I had a great I had a huge, I had a huge amount of respect for him because it wasn't public he wasn't getting anything from her it was just he enjoyed the interview and he just wanted to make it be known and I thought it was brilliant plus I'm, I'm look I'm a Sinn Féin voter and mm. all that thing but we try to keep this podcast apolitical it's not like sure I've already given Bradker a plug anyway exactly fair play to Bradker and Michal they're welcome <laughs> on. you know so look and yeah yeah it's an apolitical podcast and we don't talk about politics on here do you know what I mean but at the same time if Leo does something well, we'll mention it. If Jerry does something nice and Mary Lou yeah. and Michal and all these people, we'll give them credit. Whereas Joe, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, so that was that was probably the highlight getting to to people, and obviously that show. Then, a bit like you, you were saying here, like 
like you did your you you were in addiction in this room and now you're actually helping people in this room like i think that's actually quite beautiful in a way and like my show was a kind of version of that so it i like to think it is funny but it's also weirdly i never thought it would but kind of helping people so people are coming to it or watch the live stream and i would have gotten like a couple of messages after that live stream from one part, obviously, I was not going to break anyone's anonymity, but for, for people that I would have known years ago, and I, I, we didn't even drink together because we would have been friends when we were just kids. And then they got on to me to say, actually, I'm after getting out of control with, with drinking the last few years, watching your show made a difference to me. I think I'm going to maybe try and seek some help with it. like, And I was maybe able to point them in the right direction where to go with stuff like that. Like, I go to bed then that night, like, just thinking it was kind of all worth it in a way. Mm. All that pain was worth it, like, yeah. because... Once the ego is parked, obviously I want to get more followers and I want people to think I'm funny, of course. But there's another big part of my soul, probably that's after being developed from recovery, which is which realizes what it's all about actually is helping the next fella. That's what it's all about. Like, so if I'm able to do that through my comedy, that is kind of best case scenario yeah. for me. Then, and there's I watched else. I watched your one man live show at that time on the stream, and uh, it was very funny. But it was also very sad as well, wasn't it? Like, it was a very, um, it was like, this person is delusional. You yeah. Know? This person is delusional and he's creating this fantasy world and he's going around happy, but it's actually a very sad and pathetic existence as well. Yeah. That kind of came across. And it went on longer than what I thought it would. I'd say it's exhausting to do a show like that. It's very high energy, like. Yeah, and it's very personal as well because yeah. there's elements of it, like, are even though it's off the wall, there are elements of it that are based in kind of things that happened. You know, like, I, I didn't want to go into the details of it raw, so I just took them and then made them kind of cartoony so I could deal with it myself, first of all. But it is very emotional, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And there's other people that would have have been through similar things that were pointing things out to me or oh, that's about say your mom or that's about you know and yeah. i didn't realize it myself so with the help of god i will go to edinburgh with it this with this uh, next year but edinburgh would mean that you're doing the show every night for 30 nights Jesus so i'll definitely Christ. mind myself over there yeah. right you know what i mean because it's yeah. kind of full-on yeah it's ostensibly a comedy but actually it's, it's very me. personal like. yeah it's a kind of a healing exercise for me as well you know what i mean but i just have to keep remembering that like if people are getting something out of it I kind of feel maybe that's what I was supposed to do. Do you know what I mean? Like, because I didn't want to, like, you know, when you first kind of get well, in my head, I'm like, oh, I have to go around helping people now. Like, you know what I mean? I'm going to be like, the, you know, the ego kicks in again. No. Or like, I'm going to be the next Anthony DeMello now. Like, you know, my name's Anthony as well. My birth name's Anthony. But like, then I, but then I think like, but what are you good at now, dude? You're good at comedy, ho- hopefully. Maybe try and find a way in that. So it's just perfect mm-hmm. in that regard, you know, that, that, that the show came along at that point and i just think like also on that show as well this might might be worth noting for people if they're listening like i started writing that show when i was drinking so i'd make little notes myself i'd be at home drinking cans on my own making notes about this character who's this really pathetic person who's delusional about their life not realizing at all that i am Mm. that guy i didn't see it at all at the time at the time i was just like i'm a bit of a heavy drinker i'll sort this out when i have time but i was the character in the play Mm. like and like five and a half years ago, I was lying in, in a gaff on my own somewhere, like looking at a picture of my daughter going, fuck, like, I'm not going to survive. Do you know, I, that summer I thought, like, I'm not going to be one of the people that make it. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to, this is going to take me out. Yeah. And then a few years later to be doing a show about that experience, maybe hopefully helping a couple of people along the way while the streams. Where can people um, watch your show, Tyke? So... Yeah, we, we still are going to do some live streams of it next year, but it will tour 
uh, next year and I had a couple of dates in the Everyman booked mm-hmm. and they were actually I think nearly sold out yeah one of the nights was totally sold out I don't know how many times it was postponed because of this plague yeah. like but probably February again I'd say it could be on in the, the Everyman and certainly later in the year it'll be on the Everyman at some stage and most of the rest of Ireland over the course of the year and then Edinburgh in, in August if anyone's in Scotland um, just the What's the name of it again? In one eye, out the other. In one eye, out, out the, the other. Out the other, yeah. A surreal exploration of one man's battle with alcoholism. You did perform <laughs> to one <laughs> audience this year. Who's that now? Remember, we were up oh, in Terence yes. McSweeney, not oh, in yes, secondary yes, school. Yes. I was uh, giving a talk to one cohort of students up in the secondary school in Knock That was a great And you day. were performing for the other. What was that experience like? I loved that. Yeah. I loved that day. They're a great, great school, great oh. bunch of kids, great teachers, principal. I identify with kids who've probably been through a little bit as well, I think. And I think they maybe identify with the material a little bit more. You know, sometimes like the, the absolutely nothing against um, middle class kids, but sometimes it's a bigger journey for them to go on to really understand a story that's kind of about addiction, poverty, mental illness. And my show is kind of really about that, I suppose. Mm. And these kids like... And it was funny, I'm sure you probably saw the same. I think you were actually a lot better received than I was, definitely, initially. But but that's I, only because I'm local. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose I'm a sorry as well. Like. <laughs> but like when I kicked off, there was like a lot of people looking out the window and this kind of stuff. About five minutes into it, then they were all watching. And I think it was like, it's a story about alcoholism. They, they can identify with it. Like, you know, exactly. in, 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 as bizarre and surreal as it was, they identified with the, the loneliness and the addiction in it, and it was very powerful. Man, I loved it. Yeah. I love Phil. I love that whole school. It's a great just school, isn't it? A great doing... environment up yeah. there. You know, it's such I can't Phil speak. Is a legend, like. Yeah, and we'll get Phil on the podcast as well oh, at yeah, some stage. Definitely. You know, um, talk about the work she's doing. So before we finish up, what's the plans for twenty twenty one? I know, I know, we can't really plan, but in an yeah. ideal scenario, maybe. Well, I've. I've I did a lot of voiceover work in the last few months. I've got a few things in that lined up next year. A few more voiceover gigs. I'm going to do this show. Get this in one eye out the other. Hopefully over the course of the year. Um, I've got a book coming out. I've got a book coming out. It's a spoof self-help book. Um, <laughs> it's called Self-Hindrance. How to Wreck Your Life in 12 Foolhardy Steps. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. So I've just... I've actually... Actually, only today I have kind of confirmation on a publisher for it. Um, so that'll be some stage of next year. I'm not sure exactly when. I'm writing a film. Um, yeah, I, I got a grant to write another play as well. I got an arts council grant. It's all brilliant, go. What's the film about? It's all go. The film is about two brothers who fell out years ago and they kind of reconnect through the means of piggyback racing. Mm. So they uh, <laughs> they go to the European Championship piggyback race as two, as two reconnecting rudders. I just imagine, I know Timmy and his brother Tommy in the European piggyback race. I was hoping it would be me and Timmy, but like, obviously if he's got ha- hands, that's fine. Like. I'd have to go on Tommy's back. Yeah, Tommy's the jockey, the family leg. Like. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, I've 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 something that I think is going to happen for you in twenty twenty one too. A white collar box with Brian O'Donovan. Oh, I'd love it. You no, know, uh, <laughs> Tig does a great impression of Brian O'Donovan, the RT reporter. It's fucking hilarious now. Like, but I can see Brian getting pissed off about that as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, I I did a Christmas one today, and I think I'm going to leave it at that because uh, I feel. Well, I don't man, want to take no. the piss. You have to do it here now, so you can't <laughs> well, I, just leave it off. I'll end on it. I'll end on it. But I just want to. I just want to say before we get to the end. I just want to thank the people who've helped me over the years. I just sometimes I forget to do that because it's all about me when I'm talking about my story and all that kind of way. But like, there's people that put up with me for years. My sister's a big one. She was amazing to me throughout the years, man. And 
and my brothers and and everyone or whatever. But yeah, there's people who just were just amazing for me and, and my ex and brilliant and Claire O'Connell and a few other yeah. people. Yeah. Well sure done, all appreciate that as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And well He's, done, well done, to everybody. So if Brian O'Donovan would like to close okay. the show. Tune in to watch the Two Norries podcast featuring failed comedian and brutal actor Ty Hickey live from Timmy's uh, man cave. <laughs> the Two Norries. <laughs> Thank you. God bless. See you next week. Cheers, lads. Oh. See you there, thought. <laughs> oh, that was gas. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.